In many ways, watching a sporting event on TV is all about who wins and who loses. But when presenting sports from the TV side, it's all about making the sporting event more fulfilling for the viewer. We'll find out what goes into producing a game and much more next on Sports in the Making. Thank you so much for listening to Sports in the Making, where we find out about people who work in the sports and broadcasting industry, find out what they do and how sports comes together. This is episode number one, and my guest today is one of the people who is responsible for my start in this industry. He is one of a handful of people who has produced and directed many different events on TV, and he's done it for more than 30 years for teams such as the Phoenix Suns, San Diego Padres, San Diego Chargers, Colorado Rockies. He's done it for horse racing and many other collegiate sporting events. He's been a coordinating producer and director at ESPN, working on shows like SportsCenter, Baseball Tonight, Mike and Mike, The Sports Reporters, and was manager of University Productions for the ESPN SEC Network in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now he is currently senior producer at Syracuse University, leading the athletics production unit, and he also oversees the creative services department. All right, joining me now is Scott Hecht, a very good friend of mine who got me started in this industry. And it's great catching up with him again to find out what's happened in his career and how he got his love for sports. So thank you for being here, Scott. Thanks, Don, for having me on. I appreciate it. So where did your love of sports come from? My love of sports came from my childhood. I grew up in a big family in Cincinnati, Ohio, seven kids in the family and and a a dad who was nuts about sports like I am. It was kind of uh, a love by osmosis. You grew up in that area. I love the Cincinnati Reds. I love the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you couldn't help but but fall in love with sports with Cincinnati, you know, UC and Xavier and Ohio State and Notre Dame. That those were uh, our teams. So uh, it was very easy to grow up in loving sports. As a as a kid, did you listen to a lot of sports uh, on the radio or, or watch it on TV? I did. I, um, you know, like, like, you know, lots of kids, you always hear about the kids who fall asleep, you know, when your team was playing on the West coast, falling asleep with the transistor radio under the pillow. I was one of those kinds of kids. Anytime there was sports on. And again, we grew up in that pre-cable era where, you know, the only baseball we got was the, you know, if the Reds were on television locally or the game of the week on Saturdays, I watched it. It made no difference uh, who was playing, but I was always watching sports uh, or participating in it. And where did you have the first thought that you might want to work in sports television? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and my answer is, is a little peculiar. If, if you know me, I'm, I'm not big in stature. I'm five foot six. So I knew I wasn't going to be the next Johnny Bench behind the plate. I'm right there with you. Be, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, uh, uh, the next Anthony Munoz playing football. So I, I, I always knew. To um, uh, uh, I was interested in the sports and wanted to play sports, but I also knew, and it's funny that when I was a kid, I took an interest in the productions of the television games. Don't ask me why, but I remember as a kid watching games, watching the game and enjoying the game, but also for some reason, I was always watching the production and the camera cuts. And to be honest, that was probably... I knew if I wasn't going to be a baseball player, I wanted to be a baseball producer or director. I wanted to be involved in the television side. It was just an interest thing that I had. And there's no rhyme or reason why I came up with that. But it was just something that, you know, at a very young age, and I mean, we're talking 10, 12 years old, 
I really was interested in it and I paid attention to it. It sounds very similar to to me, although I didn't realize it was going to take me where it did. But when you were finally old enough to have anything to do with any kind of TV production, how did you get into the industry? I, I got into it like a lot of people. I mean, I was uh, I was in college. I was at the University of Cincinnati. I was studying to be a football coach. <laughs> Again, wow. I've just told you how much I love baseball and so on and so forth. But I wanted to be a football coach. And um, I had a brother-in-law who was in the business and he was a producer for PM Magazine, which probably a lot of your viewers remember, which was a syndicated feature show. And he needed somebody to come out and grip for him. And he said, hey, you want to make $50? And he told me what I needed to do, which was, you know, help set up lights, set up tripods, lug around equipment. And I said, sure. I mean, who wouldn't want to make $50 when you're in, in college at that time? Uh, that was good money. So I came out. I did it for him one day and I got the bug. And that was it. I knew this was what I wanted to do. And from that point forward, I really kind of changed my direction and decided this is what I wanted to do. Well, and that's part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you. Number one is you were one of the first people that got me into the business, gave me my first paying job. And so sorry. So sorry to do that to you. I (laughs) I know. I know. And but but it was it was kind of cool because I, I remember I was interning with the Phoenix Firebirds, which is a triple A for the San Francisco Giants. And you were in the office wearing an ASPN shirt. And I stopped and asked you what ASPN was. And you said it was Arizona Sports Programming Network. So I asked you what you did. And you told me you were a producer, not even knowing what that was at the time. But, you know, you invited me out and uh, I came out. And it it's very similar to the story you just told where I just pitched in and helped and you actually gave me an invoice to get paid, which was a shock to me because it was about three times more than what I was making as a as a waiter at the restaurant. So, right. I remember it well. You know, again, it's it's all about paying it forward. And I've always done I've always done it the same way with everybody I ever meet who wants to work in the business, which is I invite you to come out and I invite you to come out and watch. Can't pay you is what I tell everybody. But it's an open invitation to come out, come to the truck, go down by the camera guys, sit back and tape, do whatever you want to do and um, and, and observe. It's really what what that whole purpose is. It's a test is for me to see if somebody is really interested, because you'd be surprised on how many people I have made that offer to. And they go, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I want to come out. And then they, they never show up. Right. Or you get a phone call. Hey, uh, my girlfriend wants to go out tonight or, hey, there was a party. And, and that's all I need to hear. I, I, you know, I make the offer. If you show up, you show the interest, I'll put you to work. If you don't show up, you kind of missed a train because if if it's not important enough to you to want to come out with an open invitation and I just it, I can't even fathom. I, I don't understand how people would not want to if this is really what you want to do. If you don't come out, yeah, if you don't come out, then um, I'm moving on because I'm going to offer it to somebody like you or other people that we've done this to. And they show up, they show up that one time, they get the bug, you know, and they stick around and they keep coming. And that's, that's why I do it. That's the way I've always done it. It's always worked. It's a pretty good barometer for me to know if somebody is really interested or not, or uh, making this a career. And that's how I've always done it. Well, and this is an industry that, you know, I'm sure there are other industries similar, but it's an industry that is relationship based, but more than just, hey, this is who I know, you have to perform. You have to be good at what you're doing, because if you're not, 
it, it can affect the whole show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I'm willing to take my lumps with somebody when they're new, when they're young. We all make mistakes. I mean, we've all been in this business for a long time. This is my 35th year in television. We all make mistakes still. Nobody, you know, many, many years ago, Arnie Harris taught me, God love Arnie Harris, God rest his soul, taught me there's no such thing as a perfect telecast. And um, that was something that I've lived by. So something always is going to go wrong. You hope it's not anything major. You hope it's not anything that's noticeable on the air, but something will go wrong. There's too many things that happen in a production for something not to go wrong. A camera's going to switch pan on you, bad freeze and tape. You're going to upcut a microphone. Something will always happen. You just hope that it's nothing big. So again, I'm willing to take my knocks and bring on younger people who want to get into the business because let's be honest, the side that we work on, the remote sports side, it's getting older. You know, we need some new blood. And, you know, I've, I've always told people, you know, the average age of the Monday Night Football crew was in their 50s. And that's great for experience. And those guys do a great job. But at some point, you have to start getting younger. And how do you get younger? You got to give people opportunities and you got to, you know, that's how you get younger. That's how you keep this business going. So again, never afraid to give people an opportunity. And I understand the repercussions that, again, the younger you get, the more opportunities there are to make mistakes, but that's okay. Right. And and with the explosion of how many sports are out there, I mean, we're talking esports, we're talking, you know, Olympic style sports. There's so much opportunity, but the challenge is... Uh, how to I think a lot of a lot of young people that I've talked to they they want the big four they want NFL MLB NBA and the NHL and they kind of limit themselves in in the opportunities that they can do which might not be necessarily where they should be they should be growing in every part of the sports world well and you're absolutely right I mean you know the idea here is you just want to work you want to continue to work. And there are, there are sports, there are events out there that, you know, years ago, you and I wouldn't, we would have laughed at esports. You know, I still, I get it now. I understand it. It's a, it's a, a tremendous product. It's growing by leaps and bounds. It's really not my cup of tea. You know, I'm not going to sit and watch it, but I'm not the demographic they're going after. But from a television production standpoint, it's work. It's more opportunities for people. So again, you're right. You know, you don't want to limit yourself. You want to make sure that you have lots of opportunities to work things. Guess what? If you're a camera operator, what's the difference between shooting a baseball game, a football game, a basketball game, or being in a studio and shooting an e-sport event? There isn't any difference. Everything is still the same. You're still talking about camera composition. You're still talking about telling stories through the lens. You know, it's when when you boil it all down, it's all about entertainment, and it makes no difference if it's esports, beach volleyball. Uh, you know, there's all these different sports again that that have evolved over the years that ten years ago we never even thought about. Right. So now let's take a little bit of a step back, and I want to find out what it was like for you when you you got your first opportunity to either sit in the chair as a producer or a director. What what was that like? I remember it like it was yesterday. My first big event ever getting to produce or direct. I actually did both. It was a high school football game in Arizona. I don't remember who the teams were, but I remember I got the opportunity to produce it and direct it. And I was so excited. I was so scared to death. High school football in the Phoenix area back in the 
later 80s and early 90s. I moved to Phoenix in 87. And so this was either in the fall of 87 or, or the fall of 88. I don't remember. And uh, I remember getting the opportunity and I was so jazzed and so excited to do the show before the first snap or after the first snap, the first play of the game after the kickoff. You normally want to show the graphic and have your announcer say, okay, starting on offense, or here's the quarterback, and here's the running backs, and here's the offensive line. Then on the next snap, you want to show the defense. Here's the defensive line. Here's the linebackers, and here's the safeties. So it's, you're basically just giving the starting lineups. Well, I was so excited that in between the first play and the second play, I set the offense for the viewers at home. I set the defense. And then I told my talent, I said, the other offense or, or, or the, you know, whatever the school is, Mountain View or whoever it was, Mountain View's offense. And I remember my running through and setting the offense and the defense on both sides of the ball for both teams. And I remember my talent hitting me on the talkback going, what are you doing? And it was like, oh, my God. And then I realized it's like, what am I doing? And it caused me to slow down. But I was so excited that. I just wanted to get these things in. I knew they had to get in. wasn't thinking about how it worked in television. I just wanted to get it in. But again, first time ever getting to do a game, I was on top of the world. It was the greatest experience, even though it was just a high school football game. But to be, to move from, I was a replay guy, to move from the back of the truck to the front of the truck and to be running the show and telling the stories that I wanted to tell, it was really exciting. And um, I remember it like it was yesterday the show. I remember the situation and I remember how I felt. And for those who don't know the name Arnie Harris, he was a legendary director in the Chicago market for WGN covering the Cubs and, and just a great guy. That is correct. Arnie would come out for spring training and I was very lucky to get to know Arnie and I got to know Arnie very, very well. And whenever Arnie would come in for spring training, he'd always say, come on, Scott, let's go take a walk. And we would walk around the ballpark and he always took interest in what I was doing and how I, he knew that I wanted to produce or direct major league baseball. And so I, I, I was doing minor league baseball for a bunch of teams in the Pacific coast league. I think I, I was producing and directing for about four or five different teams. I just kind of packaged myself. So Arnie would always keep up with me. And then when Arnie would come in to do Chicago bulls basketball, we catch up again. And so Arnie became really a mentor for me. And, uh, you know, the greatest lesson I've ever learned in this business is from Arnie, which was, as I said earlier, there's no such thing as a perfect telecast. Right. And once I understood that, all those things that I would stress over and, and not get upset, but go, here's my show. It's ruined now because of something silly. I just kind of move on now. I let it roll off my back. All right, come on, guys. we got to keep moving forward. And you that's what you do. Arnie was, for anybody who's listening and remembers Arnie, he was a great guy. And you talk about the king of laid back. He was the king of laid back as a director. I don't ever remember in all the shows that I ever worked with the man, him ever getting upset, stressing out. He was, he was as easy going as they come. And I really try to model myself in the chair from what I learned from him. He was a great, great guy. And um, loved working for him. I know a lot of people who worked for him would think the same thing. And again, that was he was really important in the maturity of, of, of my development. And I had uh, one or two games that I worked with him in spring training as a camera operator. So I do remember how calm and nice he was as far as growing people because he knew I was an uh, inexperienced cameraman at the time. So 
great memories, great people. Now, in Phoenix, you uh, were more on the producer side, and you worked with the Phoenix Suns. Tell me what that experience was like. Well, again, you know, if, if coming from Cincinnati and, and producing sports in Cincinnati, and we're talking, you know, producing the newscast sports, and then moving out to Phoenix and getting that opportunity was great. And then to be able to walk in, again, this is something that probably would never happen in, in, in today's television world. The opportunity to produce Phoenix Suns basketball, all the home games, was given to me almost instantly. I think I, I, I worked tape for one or two years, and then the opportunity came for me to get to produce uh, Phoenix Suns basketball. So I felt like, again, producing a major league sport, NBA basketball, you know, Phoenix Suns were so big in, in the Phoenix area. And, you know, I, I was so fortunate because I really got to produce NBA basketball in what I think was the best era ever for the sport. Right. With the Suns, I had Kevin Johnson and Tom Chambers and Jeff Hornacek Dan and Charles Marley. Barkley and Dan Marley. And then you had coming in, you had Showtime with the Lakers with Magic and Kareem and Worthy and, and Byron Scott. And then you had Jordan and Pippen and BJ Armstrong with the Bulls and Carl Malone and on and on and on and on. It was a great time to do NBA basketball. And that was obviously the biggest break that I had received at that time, because that really opened the doors for me to do a lot more bigger things. I did a lot of stuff for the NBA because of it. It led to me getting to do Major League Baseball. It was the first huge break, the first huge project that I got to produce that really kind of propelled my career to where I really wanted to go. And during that time, with all those, you know, larger than life figures, how did you work with them in order to make your broadcast what you wanted them to? You know, I, I took the time to get to know one. Anytime that I had an opportunity to sit down and talk to a player, I would so that I wasn't just, oh, that's that guy that does television. They knew who I was. Now, they might not always remember who my name was, but they knew that I was that guy. I always believed, Don, when I produced a show, there are people out there that have no problem making an athlete look bad. I disagree with that. I can't do what athletes do. If a player strikes out, I'm going to show you the strikeout, but I don't want my talent to bury that guy. I can't do that. The majority of the people that are watching my telecast can't do what these athletes do. A great example of that was, you know, I came up through the minor leagues you know, I did all this minor league baseball, minor league hockey. I did lots of minor league sports. And when I was with the San Diego Padres, I remember one night going out with a couple of the players. It was Andy Ashby, Trevor Hoffman, Pete Smith, uh, and a couple other players. And we went out, we had a couple of beers. And Andy Ashby said one of the nicest things to me that anybody's ever said to me in this business. And he said, Scott, all the guys on this team really like you. We all know what your background is. We all know that you came up through the minors like we did. And so he said, you've always done well by us. You've never made us look bad. He said, you've never taken a cheap shot. Anytime you need anything, we just want you to know that you have the support of every guy on this team. If you need an interview, if you need us to do something for you, all you have to do is ask. That really made me feel good. And it told me that my approach with athletes worked. And, hey, I've had my run in with guys before. I mean, you know, again, it's never been anything terrible, but I've had guys get mad at me because of something my talent has said. And then when I've gone back and explained it to them, they've understood and I've never had any problems. So I've always had a really good rapport 
with the athletes that I deal with because I take the time to get to know them. And I learned a long time ago that athletes don't want you to sit there and glorify them. They don't want you to be a fan when you're talking to them. And I'm not. I mean, they're just regular guys or girls, you know, because that's the way they want to be treated. They don't necessarily always want you to think that they're the greatest thing in the world. And because I've always had that approach with them, I've always had great success dealing with athletes. Well, that's that's a good transition um, into producing and or directing philosophies. Let's let's stick with producing because that seems to have been your bread and butter getting into the business early. What is the philosophy for someone who's producing a sporting event like you? Um, it's a good question. It's a big, it's a, it's a big question. It's an open-ended question. Um, you know, I like to be a storyteller. When I produce a telecast, I love the X's and O's of sports. So when I'm producing a game, I'm trying to produce my telecast for what your viewer at home wants to see. So when something happens in a game, I try to put myself on the couch in my viewer at home, and I try to anticipate what are they thinking at home so that I can show that to them. I, I've always said, you know, my philosophy was when I produce a sport, I don't produce it for myself. I produce it for my viewer at home. I want them to feel like they're right in the middle of the action. So I'm producing it not for me. It's not for my ego. It's not because this is what I want to do. I always kind of approach it as what do I think the viewer at home wants to see? And I think that's one of the things that I learned from you. One of the key things is you're not producing for you as the producer. You're not producing for the talent. You're producing for the audience. You're the viewer's advocate. And one of the things that I also learned from you was the producer is the third announcer. You never hear him or see him, but he's contributing just as much. Can you talk a little bit about how that relationship works between the announcers and the producer? Absolutely. Well, again, you know, uh, my passion is baseball. I love baseball. I think it's the greatest sport in the world. As, as a producer, I think it's the most fun of all of the sports that I get to produce because I know the sport well. I know the sport history well. I know the X's and O's of the game well. I will go and I will talk to the manager and get their philosophy. And a lot of managers, I'll say, can you tell me what your signals are? And they'll tell me what the signals are. And I, and, and again, we have built up a relationship with, with managers. Or I've built up a relationship with managers so that when the third base coach is flashing the signals, it allows me to know what's going on to anticipate things. Right. So there are so many neat things that go on on a baseball field that the viewer at home doesn't really quite understand. There's a lot of quiet signaling and things that go on. And I try to show you those things when I can to make it more interesting. It bothers me when I hear people say, oh, baseball, what a boring sport. Well, then you don't understand it because right. it's not a boring sport. I mean, it's just, there's so much, there's so much that goes on in every sport, but again, I'll use baseball as the example. So I really try to get as much information as I, as I possibly can from as many different people that are playing the game or around the game so that I can tell those stories and present the game and make it really enlightening. One time I did a game, I'll never forget this. I, I worked really hard on something in, in a telecast, you know, I, a lot of extra pre-production, a lot of research and put this element together in a show and it worked and I was really happy with it. And I went home that night Went to bed, didn't think anything of it, moved on. The next day, I'm standing in line at a Taco Bell, 
And there's two guys that were in front of me or behind me. I forget. Not that it's important to the story. But I remember one of the guys saying, hey, did you watch the game last night? And the other guy said, yeah. And he said, hey, did you see when they were talking about blankety blank? And it was this element that I had worked really hard on putting together. So immediately my ears perk up and I want to hear what these two guys are talking about. And I remember the one guy said, hey, that was really interesting. I never knew whatever it was. And I just smiled and I thought, that's the reaction I was looking for. And again, when you're sitting in the chair in the truck or in the control room, you don't know what your audience is thinking at home. You don't know if these things work, if they don't work, if they resonate, if they don't resonate with the viewer. But to hear these two guys talking and the one guy to say, boy, that was really interesting. That was really neat to me. Those are the types of things that drive me in this business to work really hard and to find different ways to tell stories and to hear it directly from the horse's mouth, to hear it from a viewer say that something that we did in the show that I really have put a lot of time and effort into worked, made me feel really good. And those are the, that's the reason why we do this every single day. That Those types of opportunities to hear somebody say that, you don't get to hear that. But for me to be there at that particular time and to hear these two gentlemen speaking of it really was important to me. And it really showed me that what I do matters. Right. And and one of the reasons that I wanted to put this podcast together is most of the people behind the scenes, we never hear from, uh, you know, we mostly hear from announcers. We, we hear from athletes who've experienced it. And we hear from front office people a lot. Sometimes the producer director, depending on what level it is, and it's usually in a historical context. Having said that, what is the most memorable event that you've ever been a part of? There've been so many of them, Donnie. Um, the ones that the most memorable to me will always be my first of anything. I remember getting to produce my first NBA game, uh, producing my first Major League Baseball game, uh, producing or directing my first NFL game. Those will always be personal, memorable games for me. Memorable in the sense of something that was big and a wow, pinch me would have been 1999 working the World Basketball Championships up in Hamilton, Ontario. And the World Basketball Championship was a tournament that qualified you to go to the Olympics. So I'm working for the NBA. The NBA hired myself and Scott Geyer. Probably a lot of people know who Scott is. Great guy. Vice and, president and, of and, broadcasting for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Absolutely. And, and Scott was the director for all the road Phoenix Suns basketball games at the time. And I was doing all the home games. And Scott and I were asked to do this basketball tournament, and we were assigned to the games in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and, and the other half of the tournament was in Toronto. So we went up to Toronto, and we did this, – this was the dream team. This wasn't Barkley and Jordan. There were some of those guys that were on this team, but this was like the, the, the second level. This was like the next dream team. So I remember it was Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley – I mean, it was just, it was a who's who of great basketball players. And I remember the representative from the NBA walking into the truck when we were doing China versus the United States. Again, I, I remember the gentleman from the NBA came in and he said, you know, this game's going to a billion people tonight. Pressure. You, you, yeah, you kind of gulp hard and you go, oh my God. Also, you go, that is so cool. <laughs> that is so neat to know that you're doing something and that so many people in the United States were watching it. And so many people around the world were watching it. And that was really, that was really 
a memorable situation for me. But again, I, I've, I've been so fortunate to work on lots of different shows and in, in different capacities. If, if I can give you a, another real quick memorable one, and this is a little Absolutely. bit of a story, but it's, but it, but again, for the, the people listening to this, they'll find this either humorous or they'll find it, you know, exciting. So I, I was called, I used to travel around. I used to work on NBC football and I was lucky and I was on the A, the A crew. And, in what capacity? Uh, working as a replay operator. So uh, it was Tommy Roy was the producer and uh, Andy, uh, I can't remember Andy's last name, was the director. And so they asked me, I got a call from NBC and they knew that I was doing something in San Diego. It was a Super, it was a Super Bowl, whatever, in San Diego, but it was the Packers and the Broncos. It was when John Elway won his first championship with the Broncos. So this would have been 90, I think it was 99, 98, 98. Yeah. 98. Okay. So, so they called me up and they said, Hey, can you do tape? And I said, I can't because I had other requirements because I was living in San Diego and I was doing something for the people I work for. And they knew that and it was, everything was fine. So I got a call like two days before the Super Bowl, and, and the, the crew from NBC said, look, we know you're really busy. Could you still come and do tape. You can walk on, do the show and uh, walk off. And I say, okay, yeah. And I, I made it work in my schedule. So I got there. They couldn't tell me what I was doing. So when I got there the day before, I remember going over to the compound and getting my credential and going to the ops producer for NBC. And I said, what am I doing? And he said, you're just doing the halftime show. And I said, okay, well, what, did, what am I doing? Like building highlight package? Just tell me what am I doing? And he said, no, you're, 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 you're working with the people that are running the halftime show. And he said, you're going to be stationed over there. And he pointed to a horse trailer and he said, all your equipment is in the horse trailer. And so I went over and it was a stack of beta machines and they were all tied together. And he said, here's what you're doing. He said, they are going to come into the truck and they're going to say, roll it. And when you hear roll, you're going to hit this button. You're going to hit the play button on this beta and everything, pyrotechnics, tape playback, music, everything is coming from you. And he said, do not hit the button early. If you knock the button or you hit the button, all the pyrotechnics, everything goes off and there is no stopping it. So now I am scared <laughs> to death that I'm going to accidentally hit this button during the Super Bowl. And boy, what a memorable Super Bowl that would be. I'm like, okay, so I remember I didn't have to do anything. So I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting in my horse trailer and I'm watching the game. I'm listening on headsets. I'm enjoying myself, waiting to hear when they switch over. I think it was Radio City Music Hall Productions was doing the halftime show. Diana Ross is going to fly in on a helicopter. I mean, it, and it's all predicated on me hitting this button when they say go. So everything is calm. Everything is, is quiet. So now it's like three, two, one, halftime is, or the, uh, the first half is over and they're switching out in the truck, the, the production teams. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. You hear more screaming and yelling on headsets. And now I am trying to listen for this cue. I cannot hear, I hear so many people talking <laughs> and I don't, I, I am, I remember pressing the headsets up against my ear, just trying to hear the ad say roll tape and i can't the whole I, it, show is dependent on you hearing it's somebody all dependent on me rolling this thing on the roll cue and this is the honest to god story this is honest to god truth 
I can't hear this one voice over probably 20 people in the front of the truck and everybody is screaming and yelling and I am, I, I'm squishing the headset up against my ear and I'm trying to decipher out of all of these voices, this one voice saying roll tape. And I think I hear it and, and I'm like, I'm hesitant and it's like roll tape. And I'm like, <gasps> and I remember pressing the button and, and I remember pushing myself back so that I don't touch anything else. And hoping to God, I heard the roll cue. Apparently I did because everything came off fine. But if you ask me the most scary moment of my life in this business, and we've all had scary moments, that was the scariest because I could see it now. I could see the headlines. Guy screws up halftime show, you know, whatever. And I thought, you know, this isn't a mistake that, you know, 100,000 people are going to see. This is a mistake that, millions and millions and millions of people would see. And that, that scared me to death. But um, once it w- it rolled, I sat back and everything else, that's all I had to do. They paid me to come in and hit one button. And, and, if, and if you hadn't done that, there could have been lots of people that lost their jobs, including it, you. Absolutely. Ab- I would have been known for something that's for <laughs> sure in this business. And that would have been it. So that was a memorable moment as well, but for a different reason. Right. Right now you've worked NFL, you've worked NBA, MLB, you've also worked a little bit of horse racing, and then you eventually got to ESPN. What is that experience like working for them? Yeah, uh, working for ESPN was a real feather in my cap. Um, I think everybody at some point in their career wants to work at ESPN. You know, this was, you know, before there was a Fox Sports, you know, I, I went to ESPN in 2006. And um, it was really exciting. And I was brought in as a coordinating producer. And I remember going in for my interview and, you know, I I wasn't really sure. They called me up and they said, we want to talk to you. They really didn't tell me what was going on. So I remember fly, I flew to Bristol and I met with Mark Gross, who was in charge. He was the vice president of production at ESPN at the time and oversaw SportsCenter. And I remember going in with Mark and in meeting with him and I knew it must have been a big deal because I believe I had like eight interviews that day and they were all with executives at ESPN. And I remember Mark saying, hey, we want you to come in. We want you to oversee the 1 a.m. Sports Center, which was still based in Bristol at that time. I remember saying to him, I said, you know, I'm a remote guy. I mean, yeah, I've done a ton of studio, but why me? And he said, because we want you to bring that urgency of remote television to Sports Center. And I was like, okay. And I thought, you know, this is this is what I was working for, you know, to get to the, the top of the chain, get to ESPN and, and, and be at ESPN for the rest of my life and interview with Mark and was brought in and I oversaw the 1 a.m. Sports Center. And that led to coordinating director and which led to me becoming or overseeing the school control room initiative at ESPN through ESPN3, which led to the SEC network and doing uh, control room games for the SEC network. And the rest is history for me. What does a coordinating producer do in the studio versus uh, on, on an event? Well, I, I think a coordinating producer does this kind of sort of the same thing, be it studio or, or remote. Um, they are oversee the production of a show from the management side. So you're working with your talent, you're working with your producer, but you're working at it from a higher level. You're, you're the one that's really in charge of making sure from a company perspective, whatever that message is that the company always wants to keep for the viewer that you're basically 
in charge of the brand, in charge of the logo uh, with ESPN, so that when people see the show, you're really the last line of defense to make sure that nothing is said, nothing is done in a way in the telecast that goes against what ESPN has built their reputation on for years and years and years. You're also in charge of making sure budget-wise that you're not going over budgets, that you know you are the one in charge of overseeing the show and what the message is on that show with your producer. So on the remote side, again, it's, it's really kind of sort of the same thing, Don. You're in charge of a lot of different things, but more at a higher level uh, and making sure that everything runs according to budget, according to what, you know, the standards of the broadcast are supposed to be and what the message is that the, that the company always wants to uphold for the viewer at home. Right. And the other thing that I would add as far as coordinating producer goes is a lot of times you're that support for the producer and the announcers and the crew and anyone who's associated with the production so that uh, everything works smoothly. Correct. Correct. And, you know, and, and, you know, for all the years that I was, you know, prior to going to ESPN, I never had coordinating producers. I had bosses <laughs> higher up that were my managers or things of that nature, but nobody who ever held a title of, of a coordinating producer or an executive producer. So, um, you know, that was kind of a new thing for me at that time. You know, they brought me in as a coordinating producer and, kind of having to learn, you know, what the directive was from the, from the company and what they expected out of me as that. But you're absolutely right, you know, to be there as a sounding board for ideas and to work with the producer, to work with the team, to work with the, you know, the production side, you know, the studio side, the directors, the coordinating directors, so on and so forth, to, to all work together as a team to represent on the production side, on the uh, ideal side of what we're trying to do in a telecast. Right. And I would even venture to go as far as, you know, not just content side, but operations side, because there's so much happening in this industry now and, and all the changes. And, and that's partly why you transitioned into the collegiate side at, e, at ESPN as well to maximize productions at every university with the networks, right? You're, you're absolutely right. And I was really lucky because my bosses recognized what my background was and what my history in the business was. And you don't find many people who did a lot. Well, first of all, you know, you don't find anybody anymore who produces and directs. That's kind of a lost art. There are a few people still out there that are holding on to it, but it really, you don't find many of that anymore. But you also don't find many people that have done studio and remote, you know, studio works with remote now and remote works with studio, but you don't find many people who have done both. And I was very fortunate at ESPN that my bosses recognized that I was well-versed in both sides. And so when the idea of, hmm, what do we think about maybe doing some productions with schools and teaching schools how to do television, but also how do we utilize that on the studio side as well? My bosses recognized it and they said, hey, you're the right guy to head this up. That led to me really kind of establishing what we were doing control room wise with these school productions on ESPN3. And the company allowed me to set that up, to run it the way that I wanted to run it. And it was very successful. That really led to maximizing it when we started up the SEC network. The company said, okay, we love what you've done here. Can you do this on the SEC network side as well, which I did, and uh, loved every second of it. How is it working with young people these days as far as production goes? And do they have a different mindset than when we were younger? Because it was really just 
a few handful of networks, but now games can be shown anywhere. Is there a difference in, in mindset that you've noticed, or has it pretty much stayed the same? It, it, I would say it's probably stayed the same, Don. And, and to clarify that, what I mean is, you know, when you work with somebody who's new and young in the business, they're young, they're eager, they ask a lot of questions, they're driven by what they don't know, and they're driven by trying to get better. Well, I'm really fortunate working with the students because, first of all, they don't know what they don't know. They're not spoiled. They're excited. They're always smiling. They'll do whatever you ask them to do. They're learning. You know, they're here to learn this. This is why they come. To, this is why, you know, from in my case, this is why they come to Syracuse. Everybody used to always think, well, everybody wants to be an announcer at Syracuse. Well, there are still a ton of students here who want to be in front of the camera. But now we're finding there's a lot more kids who actually come here who had the desire to be the next Costas or Tarico or McDonough, but they see that, you know what, working on the other side is just as exciting or there's more work or there's more opportunities. And so we're getting a lot of kids to go, you know what, I thought I wanted to be an announcer, but I think I want to be a producer. I want to be a director. So they come in, they're excited, they're eager. Who wouldn't want to work with people with that type of an attitude? I love it. I really, really do. You know, when I was young, I would watch Sports Center. you know, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann, and, and that was great. And it made me really want to be a sports broadcaster. So I went to Arizona State and, uh, you know, worked in production, ended up getting a sports reporter anchor job, my first job out of college. And I ended up liking behind the scenes better because I had more control. So right. that's well, why I decided to stay in production. Yeah. And, and we tried to teach the students, you know, those preconceived notions of, hey, I'm going to graduate with a degree and I'm going to go get a job and I'm going to make, you know, $100,000 a year right out of college. We all know that that doesn't, that's not. Those are one in a million. They're one in a million. And, and even those one in a million, I mean, it might even be one in, in 10 million anymore. I mean, it just doesn't happen. So we try to explain to students that, hey, look, I might be talking to the next great play-by-play person. So we don't ever want to squash anybody's desires and what they want to do. We're here to support everything that they want to do. But we also try to explain to them that, look, the business has changed and you need to know how to set your camera up and how to light it and how to run audio. And so we try to teach them those types of things because that's how the business is nowadays. I mean, Again, I keep going back. I sound like, you know, the grandfather back in our day, but back in our day, you know, you could graduate from school and go and get a job in front of the camera and make some decent money. But that's not how this business is structured anymore. So, you know, be ready to go work in North Platte, North Dakota, or, you know, some of these places that you're lucky if you're making twenty-five or $30,000 a year. And that's where you have to start. And if you're going to start in those types of places, you better learn how to be a one-man band because that's what you have to deal with. Now, if you're lucky and you can move into the top 25 market, yeah, you're never going to get your hands dirty again. But until you get to that point, you better learn how to do a lot of these things because that's how it works. Right. And again, it's a lot about relationships, too. And that's how a lot of my opportunities have come. It's you're prepared you're in the right place. What do they say? Uh, luck is preparation and timing. Yep. And that I can say that honestly is, has been a big part of my career. 
So what do you think the future of television and broadcasting looks like? We're at, we're at an interesting time, again, as I mentioned before, where things have changed so much where you can watch things on your phone. I, yeah, I, you know, I think everything is done now for mobile. We will always have television at home. We will always have, you know, a way to watch, you know, television on our, on our big screen televisions. You know, that's, that's not going away. But so much now is all about the tablets, the phones. So, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing for our business because there's more sports out there now. There's more opportunities out there now. And there's more places to get that that content. So I think the business is never going away. You know, I think broadcast might scuffle a little bit. I think you may see more things going to the Amazons and the Hulus and, but, but again, for people that work in the business, that's not a bad thing. So as long as there's people out there that want the content and want to create the content, that's a good thing for us. Now, how you get that or how, how that content is produced, that's all changing. And that changes almost on a day-to-day basis. You know, we grew up in a truck era. We did everything out of a television truck. Well, now everything is now moving into control rooms. Uh, There's so much stuff that's being produced on site in control rooms. And, you know, who's to say, Don, that five years from now, the director's not sitting in his home and he's directing the show on a multi-viewer and the producer's sitting at his home and he's got the same multi-viewer in front of him. And, you know, that's where this technology is going. You know, your camera guys might be the only people that are still at a venue and your audio guy. I mean, the Remy is here to stay. It's all about putting content out there and doing it as cheaply as possible. That's what's driving this business now. And as good or bad as that is for the freelance market, this is where it's going. The days of, hey, spending a lot of money to produce shows and do it at a high level, I think when it's a big production, when it's a, a Super Bowl or a World Series or an NBA Finals or or big events like that, they'll still pull out the stops. You'll still see trucks for those types of things. But when it's a one-off volleyball game from a school and it's two teams that aren't even ranked, they're going to try to get that content on the watch app at ESPN or on Fox go. They're going to try to do those things. and They're going to try to get it on as cheaply as possible because the viewer at home, I don't know if they even care anymore. If the, if you have all the bells and whistles, they just want to watch the event. Well, and that's where it becomes more and more. Um, it's a more and more compelling reason for storytelling. And, and we touched on that a little bit, a little bit ago. Storytelling is really what keeps people tuned in to uh, a game or a show. I agree. I, I definitely agree. But I think it's becoming a lost art as well. I think the directive now is just get something on the air. And if you have two announcers there that are calling the event and all your show is about the game itself, I don't think the viewership out there cares as much about the storytelling, which I hate to say. It makes me, it breaks my heart to say it because we are storytellers. But I think if you can just document the game for some people, again, I'll go back to those one-off types of events, those Olympic sports. If it's a, a soccer game or a volleyball game or a tennis match, and all you do is you're just showing the event, I think people out there are happy to see that. But again, I like it when we can put the time, the effort, the production value into something and make it the best we can. And again, I think there's a time and there's a place for all of those things. As we wrap up our time here, uh, the one question that I've wanted to ask, and I'll probably ask most of my guests is, 
What would you most like to let people know about what you do that you'd like people to know about what television production is? It's a, it's a great question. And, and I know as you were asking me the question, I, I know my answer is we sacrifice a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of personal in order for us to televise this stuff for the viewer at home. I want people out there to know that it's a labor of love. It really, really is. It's always been a labor of love for me. I have missed birthday parties for my son. I have missed anniversaries with my wife. I have missed all sorts of events. You know, I God love my wife and my son for understanding. And I do it because I love what I do. And I want people out there to know that I'm not looking for thanks. I'm not looking for people to say, boy, what a wonderful person you are for doing this. I'm not looking for that at all. I just want people to understand that when we do these events, and I speak for a lot of people in this business when I say this, when we do these events, we do it because we love doing it and we love doing it for the audience at home. We're willing to sacrifice time with our families to give you time with your families. If dad and his son or dad and his daughter are sitting at home and they're watching an event or mom and dad and the, and the kids are sitting there and they're watching an event and they're spending quality time together watching an event that, that we are putting together and that makes for a memorable time for them, that means the world to us. That means the world to me. And that's what makes what we do worthwhile. So hopefully everything that we put on the air is memorable. It's enjoyable and we're happy to do it. We're not looking for thanks or a pat on the back. The people behind the camera are forgotten. And there's a lot of people out there who sacrifice the time and the effort away from home, travel wise and all of those types of things. Just remember that there's a lot of people out there that are giving up a lot so that you can watch those events at home. Well, thank you very much. It's been uh, an interesting conversation with you because I still learn things, and, and that's a lot of what this business is. You know, we, we run things past other people. We hear things. We find out other people's experiences, and, and a lot of them are similar, and a lot of them are a lot different. But uh, So I just want to thank you for being with me and, and sharing some of your insight and your time. Well, thank you, Donnie, and thanks for asking for me to be on. Again, we are very, very fortunate for what we do. We have lots of friends. I wouldn't trade one minute of what we've done in this business for anything. It's been the best job and the best career that I could ever ask for. All right. I'll say this about a lot of guests on this podcast, but Scott Hecht is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in sports television. He has helped countless people with the opportunity to get their start in this industry. And I'm glad we got to share some insights into his background and the future of this ever-changing space. Thank you for listening. On the next episode of Sports in the Making, I'll visit with my friend David Leugnan, owner of Big Red Kong Productions. He has made an impact on horse racing coverage and also oversees production on ESPN's X Games and Formula One racing. If you like this episode, be sure to like it and share it on your social media channels and feel free to review the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to Sports in the Making so you don't miss out on more episodes. If there is something that you would like to know more of in sports, drop me a line on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also visit sportsinthemaking.com to catch up on previous episodes and eventually to find additional content to help with the sports experience. I'm your host, Don Cardona. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making. Thank you.